Welcome to Off the Wall, a podcast aimed at helping you answer the questions, what is the point of my wealth, and what steps can I take to make that vision a reality? Your host, David Armstrong, co-founder of Monument Wealth Management, and Jessica Gibbs, director of private wealth design at Monument, will tap into their over 25 years of combined experience in wealth management to help you answer these challenging but important questions. Interested in learning more? Connect with us on Instagram at Monument Wealth and follow along at MonumentWealthManagement.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Jessica. Welcome back to Off the Wall. I'm Jessica Gibbs. And I'm still Dave Armstrong. (laughs) So we are really excited about our episode today. I think that there are a lot of questions, worry, and anxiety surrounding leaving an inheritance. It's something that we talk about with our clients all the time, something we hear all the time. We hear concerns like, I don't know how to set up my trust and estate plan because I'm worried my kids will fill in your blank of what concern you have here. Or I want to make sure that my the wealth that my heirs inherit doesn't keep them from having a work ethic or from being productive, contributing members of society. Or my kids have no idea how much I'm worth. Should I tell them? That's another great question we hear. So today's expert, our today's guest is an expert on preparing the next generation to inherit wealth. His name is Rich Orlando. He is the founder of Legacy Capitals, a firm whose coaching and consulting helps high net worth families plan for their intended legacy. Through a variety of in-person and virtual services, Legacy Capital helps families navigate challenges around transferring wealth, such as how to have productive family discussions and preparing heirs to inherit wealth. And on top of that, he's a very accomplished author. Right. Yeah. He has two books. Out, and we're going to give him a chance to talk about it, but really exciting. And here's why I'm so excited to have Rich on today, because it's really hard to take a topic that most people are reluctant to want to talk about anyway, and then ask them to read a book about it. Right. So sometimes you can, and Rich, I don't mean that the wrong way, but I mean, that is, okay, hey, read this book on something you don't even want to talk about. And so this is exciting to me because I think that what you have to say today is going to resonate so much with people that they'll go out and buy the book and actually read it for a lot of the details that we just can't get in in these two segments. And so this is exciting for me. And you and I have known each other for a very long time, and we've talked about these things many times with just between you and I and Jessica and with clients as well. And when you actually get face-to-face with people, it is so impactful that as we continue this podcast series, this was just such a natural invite to have you on. So thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, thank you, Jessica and David. And credit to your firm for focusing on this with your clients and prospective clients. And I hope I can add a little bit to what you all are doing and the value you're adding to the marketplace. So let's dive in. Figuring out how to successfully pass on wealth is such a tough question that people often get analysis paralysis. We've seen this happen where people just don't know what to do and therefore consequently they don't end up doing anything. They just choose, I'm going to choose nothing because I don't know what to do. So I really want to help people take action. So I want you to talk through five things that people can consider to help them move forward. And the first thing that I want you to talk about is how do we have the discussion with your family members around the purpose of your family wealth. And related to that, talk about why is this conversation so important and where do you start? Well, as you as you set up this podcast, you nailed it. There's a, there's a series of questions that we could say keep the parents or the wealth holders and the wealth creators up at night. And that's in addition to how to make sure 
our assets continue to grow and are preserved and protected? And those questions, you, you eloquently addressed a couple of them, which is how and when and do we talk about our wealth? And if we do, how do we go about doing that in age-appropriate ways? And the other part of that question or ideas that keep keep us up at night is how do I make sure that the wealth that we've created in essence acts as an asset to our children and not a liability? In other words, not, as you said, not rob them unintentionally of their work ethic or pursuit of their dreams, or ultimately the, the great fear is entitlement. So, and I love the fact that you want to go after action. So I will do my best. Now there's no hard formula and recipe for every situation, but there are some really good guidelines. And let me speak to a couple of them. So you talked about purpose. That was one of your first questions. Purpose is really important. And for many of us, and maybe many listening, there's there's that very famous video that was a number of years ago that went out by Simon Sinek. And he speaks on leadership and companies, and he has a lot of value in the marketplace. But one of the the video I'm referring to, he talked about how important it was for companies to begin with their why and then talk about their what and their how. And we use that idea with families because we think of families in many ways, we refer to families as the business of being family. And so there's some analogies to businesses. What's our purpose? What's our vision? What's our values? How do we communicate? How do we make decisions? All of those contribute to successful companies. So the purpose is ultimately getting at the why. What are we trying to do and why are we doing what we're doing? And what's the impact we want to have our assets have on us, our children, our grandchildren, our communities, wherever we might be involved on boards and the world. So I think it's really important because I think if we put the cart before the horse and just talk only about the actual family resources, I think it's jumping too far ahead. It doesn't put context around how do we plan, whether it's planning with your firm, whether it's planning with your firm plus the legal side, all of those components, the clearer a family is on their why. It's not that it's easy, but it's easier to get clear on their plans. David, you were kind enough to mention my book, Legacy. I draw an analogy to one's vision and values and purpose to our personal GPSs. It's what really we're using to navigate the decisions that we make. So when it comes to navigating decisions about our wealth and our family, purpose is one of the first places to start. You also asked a little bit about how to and when to talk about the wealth. And I always like to say that we've already, as parents, I'm a parent, my wife and I are parents of three children. I always like to say is we've all communicated about our wealth, whether we verbally have done it or not. And what I mean by that is where we choose to live, how we choose to live, how generous we are, how many luxury items do we have or not. These are communicating in more subtle ways some of our value decisions around money. My wife and I have conversations with our children all the time because they're now, well, they range from 13 to 22, but the younger ones will ask questions like, can we afford something? So-and-so has this, can we afford it? And it's a really natural set of questions that especially all children might think of, but the younger ones will, will kind of ask in a very innocent but curious way. And one of the, you could say, successful responses is to reframe that question to not whether we can or not per se. I mean, there's some things we'll just say, no, we cannot. But it's more about what my wife and I value. 
So we've reframed that as whether we can or not, we do value that or we don't value that. And therefore, like you, son or daughter, when you have to make decisions on getting those new sneakers for 200 bucks or 500 bucks versus not, would you spend your own money on it even if you had it? So some of those questions are related to the discussion around wealth. I also would say that I like to talk about not only have we communicated already kind of non-verbally, so to speak, but it's really about now saying, okay, what do you want to more intentionally communicate about? What, what are the messages you want to be a little bit more concrete about? And we start with this idea of moving towards transparency. In other words, we do not believe that the first move or the second move or the third move is about revealing your family's net worth, whatever that may be, or revealing inheritance intentions. We think you can always, at any age, obviously in age-appropriate ways, talk about the topic of money and personal finance and even, even some legal concepts around what's a trust, what's a trustee, and so on and so forth. You can always do that in age-appropriate ways. But talking about your net worth or talking about inheritance, just as a rule of thumb, probably with 95% of the families we work with, doesn't happen until maybe 30s, it begins, maybe 40s. Now, it leaks out in ways like, all right, someone's getting married, we'll pay for the wedding, or we'll put a down payment on a home, or we'll buy a home and put it in the trust. So you get hints of family's net worth or the potential. But as a guiding light, if if you're listening to this, the goal is not for you to reveal tomorrow or the next day or the following day what your net worth is or what your inheritance intentions are. So I do want to keep picking up on this topic about how to have conversations with your kids about wealth. But I I just want to go back to one thing again, because you talked about those conversations around the purpose of your wealth, the why. I liked how you framed it that way, why that's so important to have. How do you start that conversation? So we we have a program called the Leading Gen Program, Leading Gen Education Program. It's for parents to have them actually work this out specifically for them. And one of the deliverables in the program is for them to create their legacy message. And to be more specific to your point, to your question, is we help them literally begin to write out, or first verbalize it in the class, the virtual class, but to write out what is the purpose of their assets. And one of the exercises we do is we have them literally, we have a tool to help them do this, but you can't see the tool right now, but it helps them first create their financial landscape. Meaning, think of it in terms of maybe like asset buckets. So we have our home or our homes or our real estate. We have our investments, more traditional liquid investments. We have maybe a few cars and go up the wealth scale and you'll have a lot more financial landscape in your financial landscape. And then next to each of those buckets or your financial landscape, right? What's the purpose of those assets? Like literally, like what are we hoping happens with them? Are they there purely as an investment and we want them to grow to create wealth for generations? That might be one. Another one might be, no, we'd like our our home down the shore to be a place where family creates shared memories for generations. So we're going to set that property up in a way that will minimize the financial impact on future generations, we'll support it, but we hope that that property acts as a shared experience for families. Or a family we just worked with recently ran a family meeting, and I know in part two we'll be addressing family meetings. There's an abundance and an abundance of wealth, and they ultimately concluded that after giving what most people would consider quite a bit to the next generation, it almost 
there's no comparison to what's still remaining. And in their case, they're going to give it away through a foundation. And so they're really focused on how, what's the purpose of our assets through charity, through charitable giving, whether there's a foundation, whether it's a DAF, whether it's just time, talent, and treasure, sharing it as a family. And it really helped them think through, okay, and then ultimately that leads to a wonderful conversation for families around how will they do philanthropy together. However small the number is or however large it is in this case with this family. And it really helps them think about what is the purpose? What are we trying to affect? And I think having those kinds of conversations, depending on how old the children are, I would suggest, assuming that they're fairly competent and, and mature, we have it with our 13 and 15-year-old, not, not in the broadest sense that my wife and I are, but we say we share what we are valuing right now and therefore why we're supporting it. So asking questions, first as the couple, thinking through and aligning around what are we, what's the purpose of this? Is it to provide a safety net for our children? Is it a safety net plus we're going to set aside funds for extended family if they want to go to education and have education in the future. So having these very practical conversations, although most are so busy that they they don't stop to have these conversations, which we'll get to the family meetings part, which is why family meetings help families do that. But those are some of the practical ways of just thinking through the why and the purpose and the impact. I love that. You said something that I want to punctuate a little bit for people who are listening, come back to it. But you said, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, the topic of money is different than talking about the money, which which is really an interesting way to put it. And I hope that that resonates with listeners as much as it resonated with me, because I think my experience has been when people talk about the money and as it relates to telling the kids about the money, that's where a lot of the obstacles come up in terms of making progress about figuring out the why and imparting, you know, here's the purpose of the money. But if people can think about it differently and realize that you're always trying to impart your values on anything to your kids or anybody that you're mentoring, whether it's behaving correctly or whatever it is, your values are important. And if you avoid that conversation about the value of money to the example that you used about the expensive sneakers, and you start to get kids to think about the value of something and not, can we afford it? But do you actually want to spend money on that? You don't have to talk about, I'm using my air quotes for listeners, the money again. You can just talk about the topic of money. And that, I think, is a really great way to get back to your point, which was, what's the purpose of our assets? Because you can always be talking to kids about the purpose of the assets outside the context of the money. It's a really great way to think about it. David, you nailed it. And Jessica, you touched on it in the very beginning about how what we see in most cases is this analysis paralysis or this, it's not that we're trying to keep a secret, but we don't know how to do it or we're concerned of the unintentional consequences if a young person or even a, an adult knew the wealth that we had create, we are creating as, a, as parents. And so you're right. It's about well, first of all, is that move towards transparency, which is a really good guideline. So there's no rush to actually get to the net worth number. And there's so much conversation that's left on the table because what happens is that silence, the next thing that tends to speak is the will or the estate plan when someone passes or someone reaches a date where they're 30 or 35 years old and some amount of assets become available to them. 
And we think there's that big opening in between that space to move the transparency curtain, to turn on the dimmer switch a little brighter, and to have first the conversation around purpose, values, intent, impact. It's just a ton of wonderful conversations to have there before we ever get to the final punchlines. Right. And when Jessica introduced the episode and you know, she mentioned that we're going to talk through five things that people can consider to help them move forward. That makes me want to ask about the next one because it's such a common thing that we hear all the time when we're either in a meeting with a new client that's going through our monument blueprint process, or we're revisiting plans with existing clients. Here's something we hear all the time. I'm not sure I want my kids to know how much money we have because it may result in, like Jessica said, fill in the blank, right? So how and when do you actually start the conversation with your kids about, again, my air quotes, the money? Because at some point, you've got to talk about the money. Yeah. So this is informed perspective, but it's not the absolute perspective because there's been a handful, and I mean not more than a handful of families we've had to serve over the last 20 years, where their belief system from day one, for whatever the reasons was that they're going to provide as much transparency as possible. But 98% do not do that. So to your question is, I would say as a guideline, when it's time to start revealing the money topic, assuming we've had the purpose and the values and the all that we've been talking about already, I think a great time to start that is moving a glimpse, again, moving towards transparency, is going into college would be a great, great time. Meaning... He has a chance where maybe they worked as a, a teenager and earned some money there. But when you go to college, it's an opportunity to first, are you going to pay for the college? Are they going to pay for it? I know one family said, we will pay for all the A's that you get or A or B. But if it's not an A or a B, we're going to give you a loan. And you'll pay for those. They want to teach other things, going back to what David was saying, other things around money like responsibility and performance and achievement. So you can customize that. But the other part is, do you give them a credit card or a debit card that you keep filling in as needed? And I think it's a great time to talk about budgeting and what happens after college. So I think you start to get glimpses into talking about the money, about what's possible. And then I think after that, it, I think I see a lot of opportunity when the next generation is now thinking about possibly going into a business. Does the family want to be an investor in that business? Is there, in essence, a family bank? Sometimes it's it's very formal. Sometimes it's just the idea that there could be money there that if one of the adult children want to apply for it, they have to fill out a business plan and submit it. And so there's a lot of formalities, but that could be another window, David. It could be at marriage. Am I getting married? Is it going to be fully paid for? How nice is the wedding going to be? You start getting glimpses into it. Buying homes. I've seen some very wealthy families buy their next generation a home that they could have never afforded. And now they're sitting, they're living in a $3 million home in the rising generation, and they're in their 20s. And the family that comes to mind, the parents said, I think we did too much, too fast. But I think the conversations is not until 30s, 40s, 50s, that it makes more sense to start opening up transparency, because it usually aligns a little bit with the trusts and the wills. And it's really important when that next generation our adult children who are getting married start having children, and now they're trying to figure out how to plan. Should they be saving for the children's education? Is that going to be funded by nanny and grandpa? 
things like that. So I'd say 30s, 40s, 50s, David, some of that transparency gets a little bit more transparent. Yeah, I think thinking about my own personal experience, it, you know, it's in my 30s that my parents decided, okay, we're going to name Jessica as successor executor or successor trustee in our trust, right? In the event that something happens to both of us, we're going to entrust our daughter to fulfill this role. And obviously that involved sharing that knowledge with me and then sharing the documents, right? So I, I got some insight into, okay, this is what my parents' estate plan says. And then understanding a little bit more than, yeah, what is the size of the estate, the complexity of their estate? What does that look like? You know, those things kind of, as you said, they kind of came hand in hand with, okay, I'm at a point in my life where I could responsibly take on this role if needed. And then that kind of opened the door to then talking more transparently about numbers, you know, the wealth as we've been talking about. So that was my experience. That's how I brought was brought into it. Yeah, it's funny. I This has made me reflect back on my youth and start to ask myself, like, when did I become aware of anything going on with my parents? And just in the past couple minutes, I've just been rewinding my life. And I think, I think I always knew that my parents' house was going up in value. I just knew that because we lived in houses for a really long time. And then part of the values where you're talking about, you know, the value of money versus the money. I just remember very distinctly my parents paying for things that they thought were important, like education or being on sports teams or, or things like that. And then there were things that I asked for money for like any teenager does. And I was flat out told no, and then told you need to get a job to start <laughs> right earning your own money. And I grew up in New Jersey, which is one of the only two states in the nation that doesn't have self-serve gas. So a lot of, it was a popular job to have a job pumping gas at a gas station. And that's what I did all through high school. And I think my parents then kind of saw my transformation about understanding the value of money when I came to them at some point and said, I want to start a bank account. And I think my parents were like, what? Like, you've got enough money to open up a bank account? And I, I don't know, I probably had like 300 bucks. I thought so. And I just saw them nurturing that through working and earning the money to buy the things you want, but also kind of subsidizing the things that they thought were important. I think that's when I kind of realized it. David, what I have found and what I recommend is irrespective of the level of the wealth of the family or the parents, that practice of having your children work and not necessarily knowing literally what the resources are behind that might be available to them one day is what I'd recommend because they'd be better prepared for when more assets become available to them if that's the plans of the family. I think the idea of what I sometimes say to parents is kind of try to de-link your bank account from what you think is important. And I know it's hard to do that when you have a lot of resources in the bank, but what's best for your child now? What will empower them? What will make them more competent? What will make them less dependent? Try to use that, those three questions or those three guidelines as your decision-making, not, well, we could do it. We can make it easier on them. We could afford to do that. They can never, I mean, a lot of families, if they just went fully transparent and made it available, their children would never have to work again, some families. So I love that, David. I, I would I put an exclamation point on that is just having them work and not protecting them from struggle is a really good guideline, irrespective of the family's wealth. Yeah. And just to be clear, 
I had to work for free sometimes because when I got in trouble in school, my dad would order a quart of wood and say, split that wood. And I split wood when I got in trouble. So sometimes I worked, didn't get paid. <laughs> anyway, some values there too, but non-financial. But Jessica, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, Rich, I want to pick up on on what you were just saying, because, you know, item two, we were talking about how to start the conversation with your kids around wealth and also how to start the conversation around the wealth. I think that's a related but slightly different conversation from how to prepare your kids to be good future stewards of the wealth that, you know, knowing that your kids will one day inherit potentially significant wealth, you know, how can you make sure that they're prepared that they're going to be good stewards and tying back to what we were talking about before, how do you make sure that the money doesn't create entitled kids? Cause I mean, I just think, you know, if you knew, Oh, one day I'm going to inherit $10 million, you know, that may change your behavior. So. Yeah. And then I'm thinking of one of the families we have served for many years and one of their guidelines are you can never be fully prepared for what is coming. But meaning if you didn't, there's something about the person or the people that go out and create the wealth that their experience is going to always be very different than someone who will have the reins of guiding, stewarding, and growing that wealth. And they're both needed. As a matter of fact, we talk about with families is that every generation should see themselves as the first generation because that mindset is not... So if I'm the child in my family and there's significant wealth coming to me, if I my mindset is how do I live off of it that's maybe not the most productive or helpful one versus, all right, that's now an opportunity for me to use that as a foundation to say, what is the family's intended legacy? What is the purpose? Going back to what we started this conversation on. And how do I take that and maximize the opportunity for the whole family, whatever our intentions were? So it's important. The question you asked is really, really important. And it's one of those very important questions that keep parents up at night is how do we prepare them for this even though I just acknowledge that to some degree, the experience of the next generation, unless they're wealth creators, is going to be different, but very important. So um, one of the chapters in my book addresses this, and I'll, I'll just touch on it now. There's what we call life IQ and financial IQ. So we think it is important that each family member have some minimum level of financial acumen. It's very common, and I'm, I can go through my head with just the families we served in the last two months where you will literally hear family members either being described by others or describing themselves as, I don't like numbers. I don't get it. It's not my thing. It's not what I'm passionate about. And we get it. The goal is not to make every family member the the same type of person. But we do suggest at a minimum that there is a minimum level of, for for example, personal finance or the basics of investing, the basics of, of estate plans. Because if they're going to be stewards or have any kind of leadership role, they need to be able to speak the language of dealing with a firm like yours. How do I best engage and leverage all the value that Monument can do for my family? And now I'm in a role of stewardship. So we think it's important. As a matter of fact, one of the families said to us recently, I just want my children to be conversant, but they don't have to be fluent. And I thought that was a great way to capture it. So there's the financial IQ, which I think is important, but I don't think that's what's most important. What's most important is all the things we've been talking about Are they creating for themselves a purposeful life? I know one of the things that we are going to talk about in this episode is creating happy children, happy people. And the research around happiness, one of the reasons why I wrote the whole whole chapter on happiness in my book, Legacy, 
was because we'll hear that all the time is, I just want my kids to be happy. I just want us to be happy. And I thought, okay, is there any science behind it? And in some ways there is. There's a lot of research being done in many of the top schools around what leads to a meaningful, fulfilled life. And this goes right to the heart of your question. So it's things like achievement. It's things like positive relationships. It's things like, which goes back to working, because in working, you're you're working out what's important to you and you're experiencing achievement or even learning how to deal with failure. So there's these principles like gratefulness and giving back or sharing, and that you can think of through philanthropy with others, all will contribute to a meaningful life and a fulfilled life. And so when they talk about the happiness research, it isn't necessarily am I giggly or do I always have a smile on my face, but is my life intentional, purposeful? Am I getting clearer and clearer on what I'm supposed to be doing as part of this larger family? And so it's that life IQ side that sometimes is taken for granted and there's a lot of focus on the financial IQ side. We think it's both. So very practically, it's literally as parents and as families, especially when the when the next generation starts to become young, especially when they become young adults, is starting to bring them in at age-appropriate ways in these kind kinds of conversations. And we encourage and we coach the parents to have these conversations by literally. So for example, I, my children are now 13, 15, and 22. We've been doing what we call family meetings on the couch in our living room once a month on a Sunday evening. And we did them since the kids were five years old. And we just had conversations around school goals, money topics, giving back, you know, sharing assets without revealing much of anything. We just had, and we let them say whatever they were thinking or asking at their own ages. So just think of that concept and bring it up to where your family is today. Is it around the dining room table? Is it around breakfast? Is it around you're on vacation together and you have some purposeful conversations? But it really helps to be a little clear on what you're trying to intend the outcomes to be. And then as I think as the children or as the rising, what we call the rising generation gets older, young adults, adults, that they kind of be co-creators of that process with you. So this kind of leads into item number four. One way that we talk about with our clients a lot how to give kids experience managing wealth is through gifting. The idea being that, you know, wouldn't you rather your kid make a mistake with money when you've only gifted them, you know, the $16,000 annual exclusion gift versus when they inherit potentially, you know, millions of dollars down the line. So how do you prepare younger kids for gifts? And then also, how do you prevent these gifts from undermining them? Yeah, another another important question here. And it's related to a lot of what we've been saying. But I'll give you a real example, a real life example. Two years ago, my parents wanted to give all their grandchildren the exclusion gift, which you just referred to. I think back then it was 15 grand. Now it's 16 grand or whatever the numbers are today. And my wife and I talked with my parents and said, what is the purpose? Like, what do you want them? What are you hoping happens with that gift that you're going to give to a, at that time, 11 or 13 year old, I, don't, I forgot exactly their ages. And they were ultimately, they said, we really want them to help them with their education. Whether they needed that help or not, that was what they had hoped. So we, we asked them to share that as part of giving it to them because they wanted us to communicate it. And I said, no, no, you sit with my kids and you communicate it. And so that's with a young person. And they did. And, my, and my, my children know that they now have that that amount of money and they have more because they've been collecting in other ways or gathering assets in other ways through little part-time jobs and holidays and things like that. But they know they have that money 
And my wife and I use that in our messaging too, that whether we could pay for their college or not, which we fortunately can, or whether or not we could buy their first car or not, which fortunately we can, we're using it as an opportunity to say, you know, when you graduate high school, you know, you can use that money towards your first car. Or maybe that money could be used for your college because we want them to, to have that value of money and appreciating that they'll have to make decisions on how to use that. So that would be an example. Then there's other examples, like you, as I think you're alluding to, where sometimes there's tax benefits for the parents to move money to the next generation, whether it's a private company, whether it's part of their estate planning, that they'll there's a tax reason to move money to the next generation. And if that's the case, we do encourage that they prepare a conversation. They think through when and if they know this, assuming they're at an age where they're going to be made, the information or the transfer will be made known, how do we prepare them for that conversation? So parts of the way is to help them get clear on what do they want, what are they ready to know, and what do they want them to know about the purpose of those assets. So we had a meeting last, gosh, it was a few weeks back, and the parents had decided at this point, their their oldest child was in their young 30s and married and they decided that it was time to move meaningful assets. And, I'll, and uh, the whole point is I'll tell you the reason. They decided to make very transparent $5 million was going to be moved into an investment account for them to start working with the advisors on the $5 million. So they thought their oldest child in their, young, in their early 30s, it was time for him to know and be more responsible. But they did it in partnership with a firm like yours. So they said, we're going to move the $5 million into this account. You're going to work with the advisors, and you're going to learn more firsthand and experientially what it takes to invest and manage your money or manage this portion of your money. And they prepared them by getting clearer on their values all along and, and having a loving and close relationship. But they thought now in their 30s, that was the way to do it. So there's there's this spectrum of gifting. A gift could be, as we talked about it, on one end, an annual exclusion gift to $5 million set aside into an investment account. And in all cases, we think it's important to not surprise and be careful not to let the tax benefits wag the dog or however the expression goes and prepare the family. And if there's a downside, if for whatever the reason is there's a downside to what might be tax benefit, maybe there's another way to do it. And therefore, really measure against the impact on the the loved ones you plan on gifting to, right? Because I talk about I talk about with clients. I said, you know, there's an element of trust here. It's like you make that gift to your child; it's their money, right? Like they could go out and do something with it that that was not your intention. But there's not really anything you can do at that point. So, I agree with you to not just do it for tax reasons; to do it for the purpose of I want to start preparing my children to be stewards of this wealth to gain experience. I mean, another purpose that you talked about, you know, car or education as being the purpose of the gift. Another purpose we've seen is I want to get my kids just start to build financial fluency, that financial IQ that you talked about as far as like, what is an investment account? What is a stock? What is this tax form that I get? What is a capital gain? What is, you know, these sorts of things that it's the investing, learning that financial IQ that that's the purpose of their gifts. So, you know, you can think about it from a lot of different purposes. I mean, I kind of like that that idea. So, and Jessica, thank you. You said this a little while ago, and there's also benefits to this opportunity to gift. Meaning, you it's a chance to see the readiness 
of your children to be stewards right. at some level yeah. without having it all at risk. And it gives you a chance to maybe prepare them for that moment that you're anticipating them becoming aware of a $500,000, million, $5 whatever the numbers are, it would be more than that they had or were ready for or aware of. And you could put mentors in their life, the advisor team in their life, and it can give you a chance to see maybe they're going to be really good with it and really take to it. Or maybe it's going to give you enough clues to say, well, we have a lot more coming. It's not time yet. How do we put a developmental plan in place so that they're more prepared for the next round? So I think I think there's a, a really good upside or really good reasons to do it as well. And I, I talk about that in my book, Legacy, that there's a case to be made for sharing your assets at some level or transferring assets or make, or gifting assets at some point before you pass because you don't get to see the impact on your children's lives and your other whoever your loved ones are. There's a real opportunity to see that your hard work and your what you've earned is able to manifest in the lives you care about. So let's wrap up with the fifth item. And you, you mentioned this before, but I want to talk more about it. How do you raise happy kids? Let me get a little technical. I think the happiness research, research would say is you can't impact 100% of a person's personality or their makeup or their temperament to a full degree of happiness. But but what I did start to talk about was that if we build in some of those those right mindsets, practices, and what I mean by mindset could be anything from how important it is, as David learned, whether his parents didn't say it, I don't think, but David learned that working and earning was very important. Maybe not knowing why, or and I'm sure it's shaped I suspect, David, to some degree, it's shaped what is important to you today. Gratefulness, gratitude, that would be a mindset as well as a practice. For What I mean by a practice is you could sit around the, a dinner table with your loved ones and say, what are we all grateful for? And the research would say practicing gratefulness will impact your overall well-being or fulfillment, having that perspective. Giving back your time, talent, and treasures or sharing your time, talent, and treasures with an individual, with others, with a community, with a world purpose, whatever it might be, having those practices. And I say in my chapter on preparing the rising, the next generation, it starts with preparing ourselves. It's a parallel process. In other words, are we maximizing our happiness? Are we being storytellers of that keep things in perspective? Are we people who share with others? By manifesting and and modeling what it means to be a living a meaningful and purposeful life, as some people will say, virtues are caught, not taught. So just by modeling the kinds of behaviors as parents or grandparents will in some ways help prepare, as you said, the rising generation to be happy. So let me let me give you the opposite side of the coin. What would not leave to a fulfilled and meaningful life is the constant pursuit of money in and of itself or luxury purchases, buying one nice item or toy after another, because that sets up what's called the hedonic treadmill. The more of that you have, the more of that you need to quote, be happy, to get that rush, to get that feeling. That's not going to contribute to a healthy person or a healthy or happy family. So it's really about the other things like knowing the purpose of the wealth, making sure it's a tool for the family. So one of the ways I like to put it, drawing an analogy to kind of the sun and the, and the planets. 
on the family members revolving around the son, meaning the family's assets, or is the family's assets revolving around the family, which is the son? And I think it's a much better chance of increasing happiness in your in your children's lives or your loved ones' lives if the money is there to serve the family and not the other way around. So there's the practical pieces we talked about in happiness, being charitable or generous, setting goals, achievement, resilience, knowing to the best you can, which may evolve over time, the purpose of your life, not just the money. Those practices, those mindsets are how you increase the odds that you're going to produce a life that's more meaningful and fulfilled. Well, this is awesome. There's obviously so much more to talk about. So this is actually just going to be part one of our conversation with Rich. We're actually going to put out a second episode with Rich where we're going to dive more into some of the things that we talked about on this episode, specifically talking more about family meetings, talking more about gifting and the benefits of doing legacy planning. So thank you so much, Rich. Looking forward to having you back for part two. Yeah, this was really great. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed this and look forward to getting our next episode done here because we're going to jump into things like more details about how to have a family meeting. We're going to talk some more about gifting to kids and really get into some of the details on that. And you know, also what the benefit of doing the legacy planning in conjunction with a wealth manager. That's all in the next episode. So go check that out next if you've made it this far and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much, Rich. Really appreciate it. 